Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio. I am Rob Jan, flying Han Solo, or Jan Solo today as we often say, unless we're going between two different channels on the console, in which case we're Pan Solo. Ah, well, our title today is Between the Sea Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. Our podcast title is Go Climb a Pod, all of which will make sense, probably, (laughs) today. (laughs) Hope you're enjoying your Anzac Day sojourn, however you are doing it, wherever you are at the moment. Righto, we've had the... A drop and broadcast of the Doctor Who Easter special, Legend of the Sea Devils, which was the second of three 2022 specials, preceded by the New Year's Day one, and to be followed by another later in the year that will be part of the BBC's centenary celebrations. And you can still catch up with it, streamed on ABC iview, and there will be a blue ray dvd release later in the year as well as you know these three specials are the final episodes to feature jodie whittaker as the 13th doctor alongside her companions mandip gill as yaz and john bishop as dan now this special was co-written by the current showrunner chris chibnall who will also hand over his position in a remarkably retro move to Russell T Davies, the showrunner under whom Doctor Who restarted after a 16-year hiatus, which continued under his guidance from 2005 to 2010. Chris Chibnall is a long-term Doctor Who fan who previously submitted stories to the show and had them broadcast, and he's also known as being a creator of shows like Broad Church, which of course had David Tennant and Jodie Whittaker in it as well, and I believe he was had a hand in the creation of Merlin and also Camelot, those series. Very Arthurian of him. And he was the head writer on the spin-off series of Doctor Who, Torchwood. This episode is also co-written by Ella Road, and she's a British screen writer and actor and playwright too, best known for her science fiction stage play, The Phlebotomist. What a great word that is, phlebotomist. <laughs> Well, before I go around feeling the bumps on my head again, we will have a little bit of music here to introduce Legend of the Sea Devils. And I've actually got a track here that I know nothing about, (laughs) but I will go with this track called Theme for a Streaming Series about the Pirate Queen Ching Shi, and it's by a group called White Town and an album called D-Mab. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on Zero G. Theme for a streaming series about the pirate queen. (laughs) 
Uh, well, I don't actually know if there is a series that's based upon that. My Google foo has failed me temporarily. <laughs> White Town is the artist from Melbourne called D Mab. And, well, that's pretty much one of the major subjects of the serial, well, I should say the single story, Doctor Who, Legend of the Sea Devils, which does revolve around partly the exploits of a certain Chinese pirate queen of historical interest. Now, the episode was directed by uh, Haldo Wang and the um, episode director is also working on a Netflix series called Bodies, which is an adaptation of a graphic novel by Cy Spencer. And Bodies is basically about... um, It's a cross-time detective story with four different detectives set in London, and they're uncovering a conspiracy that spans 150 years. So you get... um, uh, four different eras, 1890s, 1940s, 2010s and 2050. And the director of Legend of the Sea Devils, Halu Wang, is one of the directors of that. She is also known for doing psychological fantasy-based short films as well as features. So, presumably, she has been working on this one because they wanted to get some... Uh, uh, in culture experience because it is based around Chinese sea pirates from the 19th century. So, as I've said before, in Whovian law, both the sea devils of the title and their land-based cousins, the Silurians, are a sentient Saurian race that inhabited and dominated Earth in the Doctor Who universe millions of years before mankind evolved from apes. There was a a space-based sort of planetary catastrophe and the Silurians and the sea devils were forced into underground or underwater or indeed space hibernation because of that and they've been reviving and thawing out ever since in Doctor Who. Not too many times. They're not a monster that gets lent upon very often Uh, and causing trouble since those halcyon days before our history at least started. Uh, The Silurians were created by writer Malcolm Hulk in the 1970s serial Doctor Who and the Silurians and basically they are reptile bipedal characters with rather large, quick-blinking eyes. And in fact, they've got a third eye above that one too, which in some iterations of the creatures can be, of course, used to wreak havoc and destruction. Now, this story, Doctor Who and the Silurians, uh, featured John Pertwee, the third Doctor, and he pointed out that technically (laughs) the the creatures should be called the Echo Scenes. Echo seen and not heard in this case. And I've got some music here by Malcolm Clark from the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Some very eclectic, electronic, spacey sort of science fiction music, which was a feature of the show back in the day. And this comes from the Doctor Who 50th anniversary album. And so this is a theme for The Sea Devils. Hello, this is Wendy Padbury. 
I played Zoe Herriot on Doctor Who and Sue Craig on Free Wheelers. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple RFM. Zero G? Well, I'm quite sure that doesn't add up. <laughs> Rob Jan here, and amused at the synergy of some of our promo carts here. Because, of course, they have no way of knowing that I'd be talking about Doctor Who today, which, of course, is a a time travel series. So, yeah, time. (laughs) All right, Rob Jan here on Zero G, and we are discussing the Doctor Who story, Legend of the Sea Devils. And just there we had a very eclectic track from Malcolm Clarke, one of the composers who worked at the BBC Radiophonic Workshop from 1969 to 1994, and that was the Sea Devils theme from the 1972 Doctor Who serial of the same name. Now, as much as I dearly love the more symphonic compositions of composers like Murray Gold and Segan Akinola, Uh, Ron Grainer or Dudley Simpson, for that matter, in the Doctor Who archives of music. I also really like those experimental electronic soundtracks as well because it's got that whole science fictional approach. And I do miss those. I know they cycled back to them uh, in the 1980s as well. But, ha, such good stuff. Gives me the chills because I can see those sea devils coming up out of the ocean onto the beach wearing their fishnet kind of uh, shrouded costumes. What an image. Must have been real hard on the actors doing that in the rubber masks and so on back then. I don't know how many takes they had to do to get that one right. As the doctor, John Pertwee, pointed out, they shouldn't have been called Silurians or Sea Devils. They should have been Echo Scenes. (laughs) Trust the doctor to nick pick the chronology after all if who who is an expert on time and horological matters (laughs) all right so this story legend of the sea devils it's the second of the 2022 13th doctor specials and it features these sea devils that we've been building up here they have of course, appeared in that earlier story in 1972, The Sea Devils, and later on, quite memorably, in the 1984 Fifth Doctor story, Warriors of the Deep, where the creatures, including the Silurians as well, they got together with their cousins, the Sea Devils, they were trying to uh, spark a hot war between several different factions of humanity in order to regain the planet after the nuclear fallout had settled. So chillingly nasty plan and had to be stopped and led to a lot of soul searching from the fifth doctor because the only way to stop it eventually was a lethal one. And it just felt very uncharacteristic for the doctor to do that back then. Of course, later on being known as the as the coming storm and the man who burnt several worlds 
It sort of felt a little bit more doctor-like. Let down a bit by the production design limitations back then, especially the pantomime horse-like monster that stalked through the corridors, not at all convincingly of the underwater sea base. And, of course, we all know about the sea devil, or sorry, the Silurian Victorian consulting detective, Madame Vastra, who was part of the Victorian Paternoster gang, voted most wanted to be seen in a Doctor Who spin-off series by, well, at least by me. <laughs> so... This story is set in, to begin with, in 1807 China and we've got the, uh, the pirate queen, Madame Ching, who attacks this village and she's trying to um, find the location of her kidnapped crew. And yes, I'm going to do spoilers in this because, well, it's been a week and if you're a Doctor Who fan, you undoubtedly have already seen this one. Uh, this unleashes a petrified sea devil by the name of Marcissus, who causes all sorts of havoc in this small seaside village. And the Doctor, Yaz and Dan arrive in the TARDIS. They're drawn to it, as the TARDIS is often drawn to unhappy events. And um, Madame Ching was actually looking for a treasure from the lost treasure ship, the Flor de la Mar, which is a historical vessel. And she wants that to um, to get back her kidnapped crew. So, that, you know, it's sort of a bit Tomb Raider-ish here and a few other things thrown in. At the same time, the Sea Devils there have got their own ship, which can fly now because they've uh, been able to adapt their advanced technology to it. And they also have a... Hua Sen, way, 20,000 leagues ahead of their old pantomime horse monster. Uh, so, yeah, this is actually a Keiju movie, a serial story as well, <laughs> because there's a, a giant sea monster involved in this. Shades of the Loch Ness monster from um, the Zygon story back in the Fourth Doctor's era. This one's a real corker of a beastie, and I, I really wish we'd had a chance to see more of it. But, you know, Maybe it's too terrifying for the likes of us. So, while the uh, several, some of the, the Dan, the Doctor's companion, and Madame Ching are evolving in through this particular situation in the 19th century, and the Doctor and Yaz go back in the TARDIS about uh, 300 years, roughly, back to the uh, 17th century, roughly. Uh, I think it was. Uh, what, uh, year was it? Oh, I can't remember. Some, something or other. And um, they're also involved in, an, in uh, the initial Flor de la Mar adventure. And this is where they will also encounter the Korean adventurer, Ji Hoon. And so we've got this very nice Asian story that I would almost say it's a bottle show because it does place, take place largely at sea. And for my money, it's actually more fun than, uh, oh, which one was that? Pirates of the Caribbean, number four, World's End, I think, which actually did have a version of a character based upon Madame Ching as well in that, another pirate queen. Anyway, it's all quite complicated, and there's a really bonkers plan that the sea devils have for taking back control of the earth from the mangy mammals that have become its unlikely and 
fairly careless masters. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, a story in here that lasts about 50 minutes. It's done at breakneck speed. And that's all right. I'm used to that with these Doctor Who stories. It may be a little bit too fast in places where there's some choppy editing at the start, particularly in the uh, the village sequence. But it did make sense to me as much as any Doctor Who things make sense, which is quite a bit really. I'm not uh, casting any shade there. And I thought the guest actors were quite extraordinary, uh, particularly... Uh, the actress Crystal Yu, who we've seen before in a show called Casualty back in the uh, 80s and um, Industry in 2020, a few other things. And I thought she was excellent as Madame Ching. The only thing I would have liked to have seen is is more of that character. I think this is a story that could well have been better served in the main series of Doctor Who where they could maybe have given it a two-parter or something like that, you know. Uh, maybe they didn't actually need um, uh, the character of uh, the, the Korean adventurer um, playing Ji-hun. Um, although he was splendid, I think it sort of took away from Ching's sort of turn. And that's a pity because she actually is a historical pirate queen. Um, look her up on Wikipedia, uh, also known as uh, Zeng Yi Sao. Um, I think uh, Ching Shi basically just means that she was the wife of Ching, who was also a pirate leader. And she's got an incredible story, which I don't have time to relate here, but there should be whole movies about this character. I know there's at least one television series that sort of riffs off the historical character, but just an amazing character um, coming from the humble origins of a brothel to become queen of an entire pirate fleet composed of 400 junks and maybe 50,000 pirates at the, uh, in 1805 uh, and actually managed to retire from all of that uh, and not be executed by the powers that be. But anyway, whole huge story there that should really have gotten a bit more uh, breathing space in this. We also had um, Craig Ells playing the chief sea devil in this and it's a very odd thing that he comes back again because he was the um, uh, the, uh, the the alien space dog in the uh, Flux Doctor Who miniseries as well in that story arc. So strange to see him come back here as the chief sea devil in this. I thought, again, the, uh, the sea devil could have had more character to him than was allowed in the, in the really fast time of this story. I think this is actually... Um, between 40 and 50 minutes and probably the shortest of these specials. So, yeah, a bit more time to breathe and get bring the characters to life in this. Arthur Lee played Ji-hun and I really apologise for <laughs> saying maybe we didn't really need his character in there because it did split the action between the, uh, the two uh, indigenous human seafarers in this. We've seen him before in, uh, I think, in the in the new Batman movie as well as uh, in a Stan Lee-based television series called Lucky Man. Um, but, you know, I mean, he, he does a fine job and, and is quite noble in his pursuit of saving the world. I, I really liked his character, actually. So, yeah, here I am sort of torn between the, the two, Madam Ching and, uh, and Ji-hun, whether or not... It's just such a pity this wasn't a two-part story in regular Doctor Who. 
So, yeah, I mean, this is split across two eras and it takes advantage of the time-travelling capability of the TARDIS quite well. I love that it's Chinese pirates and a, and, um, and a distinction that, should, uh, that, that got flitted a bit by a bit too quickly, a Korean adventurer um, who's a sea captain too. I love the costumes in this, especially the sea devil pirates. And speaking of pirates, uh, Yaz dresses up Dan as a pirate from the costumes dress-ups box and of course the doctor still keeps her ankles bare in even in Chinese costumes so I thought that was particularly well done and there's a ginormous flying pirate ship what you know how can I not love that <laughs> uh, and the fact that the uh, the seedies the sea devils have a keiju and that you get to open the TARDIS doors underwater with an oxygen bubble ah oh, so cool and, you know, there were some great lines in this too where the Doc and uh, Yaz are having a conversation and Yaz says to the Doctor, you're like a kid sometimes. She says, thanks. What? Only sometimes. <laughs> and they even had, and if you blinked, you would miss it because some of the sound I thought was drowned out a little bit by some of the action and the music. One stage the Doctor says, no ship, Sherlock. Uh, <laughs> and then they have a line near the end of it where... The Doctor looks wistfully off into the distance. And, you know, this is obviously a foretelling of her coming regeneration and said, I wish this would go on forever. Uh, I'm so much going to miss Jodie Whittaker in her role as the Doctor. She brings such energy and vitality and cheek to the role. I also said that about Peter Capaldi and his David Bowie-inspired <laughs> turn as the Doctor too. Well... It's great to see that the Doctor knows her way around a sword again. We've seen that in the past with David Tennant and also uh, John Pertwee quite a bit, I seem to recall. He was a swashbuckler. And then we get to that really awkward moment where Yaz and the Doctor sit down and and finally sort of start uh, talking about Yaz's crush on the Doctor. It's not really explored very deeply, but it really was awkward and it, I felt that it benefited from being awkward because it would be. And once again, we, we find the Doctor sort of backing off of human fe- feelings and why shouldn't she? She's not really human at all. Um, but because with her multiple regenerations and long life, she knows that sooner or later it's going to hurt if she has a relationship with a short-lived human, for example. And that has actually occurred before I knew her too. So, yeah. And by the way, Yaz has got enough ear piercings to make a a really grand pirate queen all on her own. Look, I actually enjoyed this. I know it's copped a bit of stick from other fans, but they are not me and I am not them. So, you know, everybody brings their own luggage to these things. And I thought that a sea chest would work quite well for this one as my luggage but not a Terry Pratchett luggage. Or maybe, maybe yes. So, yeah, I, I, overall, I, I felt this was a pretty successful story. I've seen way worse stories in Doctor Who. Uh, maybe if they could just throttle back a little bit, but I know that's not going to happen because it is the 21st century after all. Or whatever century it is, we're in in Doctor Who. Did you see the trailer, the coming soon one, where we not only have the Master returning, but also the Daleks and the Cybermen. And 
former companions, Ace and Tegan. So, wow. Do you know, I've met so many people called Tegan, and every time I meet someone whose name is Tegan, I ask them if their parents were Doctor Who fans back in the 80s, and they all nod tragically and say, yes, indeed. So there you go. Doctor Who, legend of the sea devils. I thought... I would give it a about a seven, or maybe an eight, if I'm feeling generous on it on a good day, which is not too bad out of ten. So yeah, I enjoyed it, and I look forward to the next special coming sometime in the year. And you know, for a story that dealt with some fairly classic monsters from the 1970s era initially, I thought it was pretty well done, especially the makeup and the prosthetics on the creatures a little bit better but than the uh, original ones Um, obviously benefiting from advances in prosthetic technology and maybe a bit of cgi as well but uh you know great stuff all right now let's have a track here by nina simone and this is pirate jenny and this is from uh Verve Jazz Masters volume number 17 and I just thought this would be appropriate at this juncture Hello this is Peter Davison I played the fifth doctor you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM interesting this thing is smaller on the inside than it is on the outside sorry moustache yeah <laughs> it is that was Pirate Jenny Nina Simone there from an album called Verve Jazz Masters Volume 17. Wow, look <laughs> at a few of those done. And it's a song originally from the Frippany Opera by Kurt Vile, of course. Now, you will know in a science fictional context that that song is one of the inspirations for sequence in the Black Freighter material in the uh, Watchmen the comic book, at least, the graphic novel, Ellen Moore at the helm there, too, which also reminds me of that director we were talking about before, how she's working on Netflix's Bodies series, which has uh, sort of assorted um, detectives from different historical eras interacting with the same crime, a little bit like some of Moore's last uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen stories. And, of course, that also features someone called uh, Janny, the uh, revenge fantasy played out in that Pirate Jenny story there uh, appears in that as um, Captain Nemo's daughter uh, visits the same terrible vengeance upon a town. So all of those are connections that just vaguely form in my mind. And I've been very vague the other day I was watching some um, episodes of Day of the Dead at a fairly low Bar American comedy horror zombie series. Don't know why I'm watching it, just sort of, you know, noodling around on the internet. When I stumbled across something a lot better, a French miniseries, three episodes, called La Corde, in other words, The Rope, uh, three by 52-minute episodes, fantasy drama series, and you can see it on SBS On Demand. It's produced by Les Films de l'Instant and co-produced by Art France. 
Um, it is a, I'll go for fantasy thriller, uh, co-written and directed by Dominique Rocher. Now, I have seen his other film, The Night Eats the World, which I think was also available on SBS On Demand for a while, uh, which it was actually a, um, a French zombie movie and a pretty good one too about an isolated survivor in a prison depart- apartment he seemed to like that uh, theme. He also worked on the, which is to say Dominique Grocher, also worked on the French science fiction movie In the Mist, also known as Hold Your Breath, not to be confused with In the Mist, oh, sorry, the, with The Mist, the, um, the Stephen King story. Is it Stephen King? I thought it was, but I might be wrong there. Uh, easily wrong, actually, I think. Uh, anyway, but this story in the mist uh, has Paris flooded with a mysterious fog that can kill people. Uh, maybe not that different <laughs> from the other one. Uh, all right, so the um, the story of The Rope actually is pretty much in the title. It's adapted from a novel called Dust Sail by Stefan Ostem Siepen, and that was originally set in a rural village in an indeterminate time. And in this, we basically are at an isolated radio telescope observatory in Helig in Norway. So it's set right out in the forest, right out in the woods. Uh, actually, filmed at um, uh, telecommunications earth station located in Belgium but anyway one day one of the astronomers is out walking in the woods and he finds a buried rope it's quite thick more of a more of a horser I reckon sort of you know about an inch and a half thick and it's not doesn't seem to be a modern kind of rope but um, uh, but it's hard to say because it's been there it looks like it's been there for a while buried in the ground and as he f- starts to follow it and lift it out of the leaf litter and the and the uh, other forest detritus, he finds that it goes a very long way. Anyway, he leaves it and goes back to the observatory. And, you know, this has to be quite isolated because radio astronomy requires electromagnetic darkness just as visual astronomy does with light. And, you know, they've got other things on their mind. They thought they were being closed down and their telescopes are not cutting edge, but they are sensitive. And they're working on trying to figure out repeater signals, which is to say powerful repeating signal sources called fast radio bursts or FRBs. They've got no Wi-Fi or mobile phones in order to keep all of that in place. And you'd think that that would mean that you're going to be set up for an isolated siege sort of horror movie. Not quite. The next day, the astronomer goes back and takes a friend with him, but uh, as they run through the woods, they have an accident, so that little expedition is cut short, and so on. You know, things just sort of escalate. Now, we've got a lot of characters in the core of this, and the astronomer uh, Bernhard Müller is um, one of the... uh, the main characters in this, played by Richard Samuel, who is a German actor who we've seen playing mostly Nazis in World War II type films, including Inglorious Bastards and also um, a fairly nasty character, Thomas Eichhorst, in the Strain series, you know, the uh, Guillermo del Toro vampire series. And he's also in the, um, the 2020 Peacemaker series too. 
And he is the husband of Agnes Mueller, and um, played by Suzanne Clement. And we've seen her before in the films Mommy and Lawrence Anyways. And uh, she is visually challenged in this story. I'm not quite sure to what degree. Uh, but um, obviously that provides some elements of a drama in a story where people are basically kind of off into the trackless woods. Um, there's another actor called uh, Jean-Marc Barr who plays a character called Sergei who has a tragedy in his past as most of these characters seem to have because that's quite important in this story. Uh, French-American actor and director who's featured in a couple of Lars von Trier films that I can remember and also I think his first role was in a, a movie role was in um, uh, the, the Luc Besson surfer movie. Um, we've got... Um, also, Jeanne uh, Balibar, who plays a character called Sophie, who has a bit of a, a medication issue. Um, and that act, uh, actress also is uh, a singer. And we will have a track from one of her albums in due course, uh, an album called um, uh, Paramore, I believe. If I have programmed that to uh, be played today, or I might not have. It depends. Oh, yes, no, there it is. It's uh, a safe place, it's called. So I think I might just uh, pop into that now. So you've got the story basics there. There's a rope near an an astronomical observatory in the deep Norwegian woods. And the staff of the station are increasingly drawn to this rope and drawn along it until one expedition sets out to see if they can find the end of it. You know, there's all sorts of explanations for this rope that they come up with along the way. Uh, Is it a prank? Uh, Pretty good prank, actually, when you think about it. Um, Or something else entirely. All right, so... We'll leave them following the rope and give you a safe place uh, by one of the actresses in the story. Hello, this is Paul McGann, the I in Withnell and I. And I wouldn't listen to Zero G on 3 FM without serious medication. And as the doctor would say, without medication, subscribe, donate, regenerate. It is April Amnesty here at Triple R and, you know, it's a great idea with companions of the Doctor or any other stamp that you try and keep us on the airwaves out here. Otherwise, where would you hear a track like Janae Balibor's Safe Place from her album Paramore? You know, not the heavy stell here, just that this is a station that promotes... The Vulcan virtue of Eidic, infinite diversity, infinite combinations. And I believe that is a public service of immense value, certainly of more value than you would have to pay for a subscription to Triple R. As you know, subscriptions are $85 for full, 44 concession, which is student, unemployed or pension, $150 for passionate Business is 150 as well, and a band, artist, or DJ, $85. And all donations over $2 are tax deductible. You can ply your 
skills online at the Triple R website at rrr.org.au in order to subscribe. Now, we're talking about the movie on SBS On Demand called The Rope. Well, actually, it is a miniseries free episode one. And it is a surreal movie. It reminds me a bit of Alex Garland's masterfully surreal mid-2010s movie Annihilation, based on Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy. Although, because it doesn't have access to a much of a special visual effects palette and doesn't need one, it's more like Andrei Tarkovsky's 1979 film Stalker, which was based on the brother's Strugatsky's story Roadside Picnic, where human expeditions into a mysterious zone were created by alien artefacts left on Earth. There's also a little bit of Werner Herzog's 1972 Aguirre, Wrath of God, with Klaus Kinski playing a ruthlessly obsessed conquistador sailing down an endless South American river in an increasingly fevered quest for gold. This is a story where the forest is a character in itself, and it's just strange. And I felt about three episodes was probably about as much as we needed in this. Uh, there is a lot of psychodrama between the various characters. So the rope in itself serves as a bit of an analytical plot device just by existing. So, yeah, it does feel very much like a fantasy film. And I did get a kick out of it. There, If you're a person who likes... Um, well-wrapped-up endings and complete explanations, this movie is not for you. But if you want to go off the beaten track a bit more and perhaps enjoyed those other movies I just mentioned, or not, as the case may be, uh, this movie may be for you. Miniseries. I'll never get that right. (laughs) Okay, it's called The Rope and it can be found on SBS On Demand. In the, yeah, nah, maybe stakes, I thought this came out as a, yeah... I still don't know exactly where it was going, but that's the point of some of these movies. The enigma is all. All right, that's it for Zero G for today. Uh, Megan McHugh, our co-host, will be back on board the Starship Zero G next week, and I think we're going to get into the Moon Knight series, which is absolutely incredible. So maybe you want to catch up with it on Disney Plus while you can, so we can have a bit of a natter about it on next week's show. We're going to go out with a track from The Forest, which is a 2016 horror movie, and I thought that The Forest sort of um, made sense, but particularly the title, which is Follow the Rope, and this is by genre composer Bear McCreary. That's it for Zero G for today. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.